It is the 200 level, episode 63, Crushed. And here's the full disclosure. I just deleted 35 minutes of a podcast. Just deleted it. Can't use it. It's old news. I'm sitting here in the basement, 4.30, Tuesday afternoon, and word just came across the wire, as they used to say in the newsroom, right? Across the wire. Straight from Iota Sumu. No structural damage. How? No structural damage. And according to Io, this is the tweet. Thanks for all your prayers, Alana Nation. The dub slipped away last night. Today it's back to work. Be back soon. Hashtag unfinished business. And the glee in reading that. I hit control A, which is select all. I hit delete. And bye-bye 35 minutes of podcast. Now what this means is that this particular podcast may be a bit shorter. I got a stamina thing when it comes to doing the solo podcast. The weather, the inclement weather has made it where Isaac can't make it. And Trevor is finishing up a long day of work at 93.5. So I told them, I'll come into the basement. I'll do the solo thing. And you guys, I'll see you on Sunday or Monday when we do our next podcast. So I started this podcast and we called it Crushed. And I think we're still going to call it that because that game, oh, kick in the gut, heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking losses I can remember witnessing, especially in person. We're going to keep that because, yeah, as a game, it sucked. But what I love is that now it's not really a double meaning, right? It's not just crushed on the sense of losing that game. It was also about being crushed that IO might be done for the year or that it might be a brutal knee injury. And that was the thought. Why wouldn't it be the thought when you saw him unable to put weight on it, when you saw the replay, which, by the way, I watched it once and never again. I don't want to see a knee move like that. And somehow an MRI reveals that there is no structural damage. No structural damage. So I don't know, maybe by the time this podcast is over and you're listening to it, I might just call it no structural damage. I I don't know, but it it is the best news on a variety of fronts. And we're going to try to unpack that the best we can. It almost nullifies, I don't want to say nullifies but it does seem to minimize the game on Tuesday night at State Farm Center to a degree because now it is all about onward and upward, right? The way that that game ended, it sucked. But think about what an albatross, I mean, I'm thinking about my own emotions here as a fan and lifting that albatross off and saying, well, guess what? I was not done for the year and it might be a bit. I mean, listen, that still didn't look good. Even if there was not structural damage, I'm guessing that thing is going to be a little bit sore. Just a hunch. But the idea that he may be back this year and that if there's no structural damage, well, okay. I mean, he might not be the same player when he comes back. There's going to be some getting back into it. But, you know, you need all hands on deck if you're going to ensure that your tournament team, and especially if you get to March and you get Io back in the fold, all of a sudden you're that dangerous team again. All these things that I felt like I had to put on the back burner. Here's what I was going to talk about on the 200 level. I was going to talk about how we had to recalibrate expectations completely, how just making the tournament was enough for me, that they probably weren't going to win a game in it. Too bad. I get it. But just make the tournament. Io's not there. That's kind of what you got to do to maintain this idea of a successful season. And that also recognizing if they did that without Io, that we would ride that wave with them. This is going to be one of those moments that would bond the fan base and bring people back in the fold, this idea, us versus them, us against the world. And... I think that would have been a cool narrative to follow in some ways with the guys that would have still been healthy, but I'm thinking, wait a second. No, 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 no. We didn't come this far to come this far, which I think is what they said after the Michigan game. 
after Iowa's buzzer beater there. We didn't come this far to come this far. There's more to do. And there's much more you can do with Iowa in the fold. Before I continue, got to let you know, DP Doe, great sponsors of the 200 level. And now maybe you can have a celebratory calzone in honor of Iowa's no structural damage. Unbelievable news. DPDoe.com for custom zones, the buffer zone, the Maui Wowie, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So it's a great business lunch kind of thing too. DPDoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com, coupon code, the 200 level or 200 level. Either one works and you get 10% off their apparel at 4th and Kirby. And I got to be honest, Nike, as much as I love Nike, they're disappointing me. Wasn't a lot of good orange stuff. Fortunately, 4th and Kirby, they have plenty. And they have a really cool crew neck Illini basketball sweatshirt that once you see it, you'll think, I want that. But that goes for most of 4th and Kirby's apparel. And you can also get it at the Illini Union Bookstore on campus or again online at 4thandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. So we got life, auto, home, business, renters, insurance, whatever it may be. Brian Hansen and his team of local products, all of them born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. They will hook you up. Get more information online at brianismyguy.com. They can even give you some information if you don't live in the immediate area of Champaign-Urbana. brianismyguy.com. Of course, Illini Inquirer. And also the Champagne Showers Podcast Network online at 217 Showers. The initial podcast that I recorded and deleted <laughs> talked about crushing losses. And I, I think we can briefly talk about it. You know, for me as a Yankees fan, there have been a few in 2001, Game 7, the World Series. My dad and I watched it from the futon in our room above the garage, the playroom as we called it. And we sat in the same spot, didn't go to the bathroom, anything like that. It was a pretty quick game because it was low scoring. Two to one, I think, going in the ninth. And we're sitting in the same spot. And my sister and mom from downstairs wanted to come up and watch the ninth inning. And my dad and I, even my dad, who's not that superstitious, said, no, go back to where you were. Same seat. We'll see you guys after the game. We thought we had it in the bag. Fourth World Series title in a row. Well, you know what happens next. Luis Gonzalez is the game winner off who? Mariano Rivera, best reliever ever. And my dad and I just sat in stunned silence. And I remember that pit in the stomach feeling. And yeah, listen, as a Yankee fan, world's smallest violinist playing for all Yankees fans. I get it. But it was crushing. And at that age, when I was, let's see, would have been November 2001, had just turned 15. Your high school years, at least for me, were the most emotional as a fan. Because every loss just hurts so bad. And everyone feels so good. You ride that roller coaster. And I still do it now at 33. But back then, much more so. 2004, the Yankees take a 3-0 ALCS lead against the Red Sox, only to lose four in a row. My 18th birthday was actually the day after they lost Game 7, and I remember going to school in some sort of act of solidarity or something. I wore my Yankees hat, and people actually felt so bad for me in that moment, they didn't even talk trash. I had Red Sox fans, a couple of them I knew in school, saying, hey, sorry, sorry, Carp. It's like, yeah, you don't need to be sorry, and I don't want your pity. Well, but Illini basketball, there's been crushing moments too. For me, the two that I look back on would be losing to Arizona in the Elite Eight in 01, which that game was like a death by 1,000 paper cuts or death by 38 fouls called in Illinois, whatever it was. But it was crushing because I knew that the 89 team had been looked upon so highly and I felt like, well, this can be my 89 team. I knew they weren't as special as them maybe, but they were my team. They were so tough and they were so likable. And they were ours. You know, that's the thing about Illini basketball teams is that when they're good, man, we own them. As fans, we we have this ownership over this program and all the great moments that we've had. But we also feel like, damn it, we have ridden through this and all the tough times that have come with it. And we're still here. 
You felt that at State Farm Center on Tuesday night against Michigan State. One more in particular for me, of course, the national title game in 05 against North Carolina. And, you know, some people that night were saying afterwards, well, we'll be back. And I remember thinking distinctly, you don't know that. (laughs) As good as this team was, you don't know that. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But that was crushing in in the sense that, are we ever going to get back to that moment? I hope so. I really do. There were some people on Twitter last night because I had posted that, you know, I'm thinking about crushing losses that I've experienced as a fan, and there are a few. No doubt there's a few. I mean, that's an understatement. But the 84 game at Kentucky is one that I've heard about a lot. There were a few people that tweeted me that. 89 versus Michigan in the Final Four. That I completely understand. We actually had a VHS of that game at my parents' house, and of course they recorded it. It was a Final Four game. Never watched it. I would have to go back and see if they had also recorded those games in 05. Because we still have a VHS player then, I'm pretty sure. So maybe we do, maybe we don't. But, you know, in terms of games lost, like crushing losses on the court or on the field of play, by no means was the loss Tuesday night the worst. Because, you know, it was a regular season game for one. The season's not over. There's plenty of season left. But when you couple that with the possibility of losing Iowa for the year, that was devastating. There were a lot of Michigan State fans in our section. I mean, Kara being one of them. And, yeah, you know, she cheered when her team won. You should. I mean, the emphatic dunk that Xavier Tillman had, that is a hell of a way to win. The injury to Iowa notwithstanding, whoa. What an exclamation point. If you're a Michigan State fan, you woke up today thinking, okay, we can ride this ship, and we do have enough to make another run. That Michigan State team has enough to make a run in the NCAA tournament when you got Cassius Winston being as special as he is, and now Tillman seemingly back into form. That was my concern, actually. That game was less about Winston because I felt Trent would do enough as long as he stayed out of foul trouble, and he did. And it was actually Winston that got in foul trouble himself. But my fear was the Tillman game. You know, the Tillman coming out party, and now he's back and playing like we all knew he would. And unfortunately, that's what happened, coupled with Rocket Watts being red hot. Man, and what a cool name. Great basketball name. But even with all that and Xavier Tillman getting the putback, I don't have vitriol towards Michigan State. And that's not just because my wife is a Michigan State alum. It has nothing to do with it. I'm thinking back the last 20 years that Izzo's been there and the games between Illinois and Michigan State, and the series is about as even as it could be considering how good that program has been and how inconsistent Illinois basketball has been since 2005. It's remarkable. So it felt uh, devastating in getting the loss, of course, but the I.O. thing just compounded it all. It was the weirdest and most jarring 15 seconds of basketball that I've ever witnessed in my life, not hyperbole. At least in person, okay? I mean, you can go back to the Illinois-Arizona game in 05. In those last four minutes, there were enough to pacify me as a fan for a long time. If karma exists, we got so much of it that night against Arizona that I'm wondering if we're still kind of paying the price for it. But regardless, I'm looking at this game and the feeling I had when Kofi made those two free throws. There was a cool set of guys next to us, and I was sort of talking to him because I didn't want to bug Kara with, well, Illinois will win if they do this. I'm like, why would she want to hear that? Out of anxiety, sometimes I turn to Kara and be like, well, you see, this is why they called the foul on the floor instead of the, you know, that sort of thing. That's a nervous tick that I have is, well, maybe I'll explain my way through the game. You know, that would be my thing is I'll kind of be a commentator and that kind of eases my nerves. But I said to the guy next to me, when Kofi made the first one, I said, that's the big one. 
All he had to do was make the first one because now he'll make the second one. Okay, the, the, the edge is off because worst case scenario, you take it to overtime if you get the stop. And I thought that too. I, I was sure that Illinois would get the stop when they needed to. The way that environment was in the State Farm Center, I didn't have this pit in my stomach like, oh no, what if we lose? I didn't. And I don't think that was out of some sort of you know, refusal to acknowledge that yes, we could in fact lose. I was just dead set on, we're going to win when Kofi made that second free throw. Michigan State calls the timeout. They drop the play that you figured they would. Cassius Winston has the ball, as he should. And yet you defend him perfectly. And yet you over-defend him. Alan Griffin didn't have to go for the block. I'm not going to get on Alan too much for this. It sucks that he wasn't there to get a body on Xavier Tillman. But Allen is an extremely aggressive player, and you're going to unfortunately lose some battles like that. I wish there would have been more discipline, but at the same time, if you don't have Allen in the court, and they score regardless, and you don't have a timeout, and let's say DeMonte were out there instead, well, now all of a sudden you're four on five trying to go back and get the game-winning bucket yourself when you know that Allen Griffith can shoot. You had to have Allen out there. He does make defensive plays quite often. In that moment, he just tried to do too much. Try to make the big play, which I admire that in some fronts, but this is where DeMonte sometimes, for all his faults, now he's making threes though, for all of his faults, he tends to not make mistakes. Maybe he would have put a body on Tillman, but guess what? That's bygones be bygones, unfortunately. You go back down, then of course the play with Io. It was a really weird anticlimactic ending, and in the initial podcast that I've since deleted, It reminded me of the ending of No Country for Old Men, which if you haven't seen it, you should because it's a terrific movie. And for me, I don't mind ambiguous endings in movies. No Country for Old Men, a very ambiguous ending where Tommy Lee Jones is this old sheriff and he's telling his wife about a dream that he had. And then the last line of the movie is, and then I woke up. Pregnant pause, fade to black. A lot of people hated that. I loved it. But it's a movie, so I can get on board with that. But it felt like that was the ending of the Illinois-Michigan State game, and I don't like ambiguous endings for sports. I don't like anticlimactic endings. This unbelievable climax. It would have been like, you know, Return of the Jedi, the amazing space battle, and Luke and Darth Vader, and oh my God, you're building this moment, and then all of a sudden, Luke and Darth Vader blow up in the Death Star with the rest of them, and it's just over. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait. We came through the whole trilogy only for Luke and Darth Vader to die? In the Death Star? And then it just fades to black and you hear the Star Wars theme and you're like, wow, that's that's it. And you walk out stunned from the movie theater. That was 15,500 people walking out of the State Farm Center. We didn't know how to react. There was nothing to say. There was nothing that anyone could say to make anyone feel better. You could even sense the Michigan State fans were like, yeah, we're, we're sorry about that. <laughs> like, of course they were happy for the win and they should be. That's a big win for them and not a surprising win because you knew that Izzo and the Spartans were going to come in desperate. And man, did they play it in the first half. That was a really good first half. And for them to overcome that on the other side of the heartbreak that we feel as an Illini fan today, there is the jubilation as a Michigan State fan, I'm sure, that you overcame almost blowing a 20-point lead. That was something that could have crippled that team. It didn't. So they're afloat. Maybe uh, an outside chance of winning the Big Ten title, but a lot of things that have to go right. But for the most part, though, they just righted the ship. That's what they did against Illinois. But for every triumph, ah, yes, for every triumph, there is failure on the other side. There is a disaster, and it was a catastrophe. You know, when I mentioned the 15,500 people walking out of the stadium, when we got out to the parking lot, we're looking for my parents' car. 
And I didn't know what to say. I think at one moment I was like, I can't believe this is happening to us. And I, I stopped myself because I always try to avoid self-pity as an Illini fan. I feel like there's this contagious aspect of negativity, which some people maybe hate listening to this podcast or something like that. And they think, well, Carp, that's all you do. You're negative. Well, I, honestly, I'm not. I, I try to get on board when things are good, not in some sort of bandwagon way, but I try to acknowledge when things are good, right? But when it looks like short or long term that there are major issues, that is where I try to point those things out, not from a negative point of view, because I don't ever want to become the type to pile on. I didn't want to be the type even in the parking lot as people are talking to each other like, what the hell just happened? To be another person feeding into the, I can't believe this happened to us. But you know what? As Illini fans, in that moment, how could we not feel a little bit like, man, this always happens to us? Why? Now, I was thinking about Illinois basketball and its history. There have not been many injuries that we've had to deal with. You got to go back to Darren Williams, his sophomore year. Broke his jaw. I think he was out three or four weeks. Came back. Illinois wins the Big Ten. Back in 2001, in the offseason, before 01-02, Bill Self's second year, Lucas Johnson, torn ACL, but he makes a ridiculously quick recovery, comes back, that team makes the Sweet 16, but and they won the Big Ten, so it was still a really good year, don't get me wrong, but of course that year was all about Final Four at best, right? But he came back. We've never had an issue that I can remember where a guy has gotten injured in the most crucial part of the season. Now, there was Kendall Gill back in 88-89. That was certainly ill-timed, and that had an impact on that team. Kept them from winning a Big Ten title. There was also Kenny Battle, what, slipping on the water? at the end of the Elite Eight, and that affected him in the Final Four game. So yes, there have been some bad luck issues with injuries, but this would have been a whole different bag, right, if it was the worst-case scenario like we thought. And how could you not think it was worst-case scenario when you saw the replay? We got back home, and we get the dog out of her crate, and I'm like, okay, we need some puppy time. I need, I need to somehow distract myself from it. I put on a Simpsons. I pet the dog. I... In trying to wind down, but I can't get my mind off of it. So I look at the video once and I just say, oh, good God. And I turn my phone off. I can't look at it. It was really bad. And yet somehow we're sitting here today as I record this. Take two. <laughs> Take two of episode 63. And Io has no structural damage. How? Unbelievable. It is the best possible news. On a variety of fronts, and we'll get into short-term and long-term of it. Let's start short-term. It is likely Iowa's not going to play against Rutgers. If it's no structural damage, I get the feeling it's still going to be a bit sore, and we're going to have to work through that, that there's going to be a period where he needs to work his way back into game action. And even when he does, it's not going to be, hey, I'll play 35 minutes. I would be shocked if that were the case. And I'm no doctor, but you know, even if I get a minor running injury, I can't go right back at the, out there at the same frequency or distance that I was. you got to work back into it. So I'm thinking that with Io, this will be a gradual process. You hope to have him back for what I will call the swing stretch. Rutgers and Penn State are two games on the road that even with Io, you might not have felt good about. I still think you have a shot at Rutgers even without Io. Penn State, even with Io, probably not the way that that team's playing. But then you have what I will call the swing stretch after the Nebraska game. And that would include the likes of on the road against Northwestern, at home against um, Indiana, sorry, and then on the road against Ohio State. That three-game swing stretch, I am including at Northwestern in that because you've seen that, well, they damn near beat Maryland at home until they blew that lead. They 
damn near one of Rutgers, which gives me hope for Illinois Rutgers. And then, of course, you get Iowa as the last part of that swing stretch at home on March 8th. There are winnable games in there. You hope to have Iowa back for those games that you're kind of teetering. We could, we might not. No, you want him back for those. Maybe there's a chance that you do. So in all likelihood, speculative, but if he were to be back for Rutgers or Penn State, that would be a miracle. No knee should ever move like that, structural damage or not. But it is encouraging to know that within two weeks or three weeks, he could be back. And most importantly, that he could be back for a Big Ten tournament run or an NCAA tournament run. Because here's what I had to do short term is recalibrate my expectations. That wait a second. Now it's just about making the tournament, and that's all I need. And I think that would have been fine. Let's say Iowa is out for the rest of the year. It would have been devastating. But I did get the sense that what the fan base would have done is rally around what is there, the guys that you have, and that there is enough there to win the four games that you need to assure that you're in the tournament and probably just the three games that you would need, which would get you to 19 wins, 11 in conference. I think that probably would have been enough. That was how I recalibrated my expectations. Make the tournament. And that would be enough. And you probably, you know, the idea of making a run in the tournament, that would be on the back burner. But at least you would have made it. Mission accomplished. And there would have been the acknowledgement that, you know, it's tough what happened with Io, but this team still found a way to reach their ultimate goal, which was to make the tournament this year. So now we can recalibrate that again, that depending on when Io gets back, maybe you can raise that ceiling gradually. Right now, without Iowa, you know that the, the ceiling for this team is a little bit lower. There's no doubt about that. But hopefully that as you work him back in and he gets back into game shape, he will be able to bring you something and bring you a lot of what you saw in that stretch in January where you won seven games in a row, which you would not have done without Iowa. So it is a crucial stretch of games coming up here. The two road games, if you get a win at Rutgers, the good vibes are back immediately. I mean, listen, they're already back knowing that there is no structural damage with Iowa. That is the best news, regardless of what happens these next two games on the road. Because then all of a sudden, you know that those four wins to secure the 21 season, NCAA tournament berth, are right there for you. They are right there. And that doesn't even take into consideration maybe a favorable matchup in the Big Ten tournament, which, by the way, are we due for a win in that stupid thing? I think so. So that was my short-term thing, make the tournament. They look to still do that as long as they get the ones that they need. I think they will. I was also thinking that the mental resiliency of this team, that was certainly going to be in question. Well, think how much looser they can play knowing that Io was not done for the year or worst case nightmare scenario for Io that he would have had major structural damage to his knee that might've impacted him long-term because as young as he is, as good of an athlete as he is, we saw with D Rose and that was an extreme example, but we saw that it can change a basketball player. You don't want to see that for someone that hasn't even made the pros yet. And how can that not affect the guys on his team? There would be a mental toll in knowing that your best player is not only out for the season, but there might be lingering effects after that. But now they can go to Rutgers knowing that, well, he's fine. And listen, play loose. Maybe you get the win. Maybe you don't. But I got to think that only helps their ability to go in there and play a game four days after a crushing loss at home. You talk about the ultimate pick-me-up from losing a game like you did against Michigan State, which, even without the injury taken into account, was devastating. But to get this news, I'm thinking about the bounce in my step that I have now. The fact that this podcast that you're hearing is a completely different tone than the 35 minutes that I had before that. 
And I'm not going to release that. There are no B-sides or anything like that. Um, it is deleted. It is gone. You don't need it. Things changed. And thank God they did. That we could now come back and have this podcast. Which, again, I don't know if I should still call it Crushed. You'll, you'll know the name when you are listening to it by this point. But I'm pondering if I should change it. It's a short term. There you go. Feel better about it. Rutgers, you can watch, have some fun. Maybe this team without Iowa can go up there and sneak a mild upset, which I'm guessing Rutgers will be favored by a few points at home, even though they have not been quite as good these last two weeks, even with Geo Baker. The other thing I was thinking about too, and I don't want to fall into the addition by subtraction thing, because we did that with Ravante Rice, and I thought that was a really unfair narrative for Ravante, who was an amazing player. But I was starting to think of, okay, well, what are my lineup rotations if Io is not in the fold? And I was able to come up with a few good ones. You know, Andres Feliz, Trent, for sure. Those two guys are going to be playing 35 minutes a game. And they should be, really. And then a mix of Alan Griffin, of course, at your three. And then DeMonte or Kipper, depending on the matchup, defensively. And then Kofi. And I'm thinking, well, we can work with that. You know, that's that's enough to win some games here, especially if Trent starts making threes. I have no questions about Trent's mental toughness. And the defense he played on Cassius Winston was amazing. Andres Feliz is playing all Big Ten level basketball right now. He was the best player in the second half for Illinois. Eight of their last 10 points. A stud. So I trust Andres Feliz almost as much as Io Desumu, if not a little bit more, the way that he's played the last few weeks. Kofi can still be Kofi. You know, he had a rough first half against Michigan State, but he rebounded. I mean, he would have been the story, making the free throws to win the game. He's still a freshman. He has those freshman moments, but I want him on our team. And then Alan Griffin is continuing to show that, man, he does good thing after good thing, despite not blocking out Tillman. I get it. That sucks. But his aggressiveness, his swagger, when he's not stepping on people, you love it. Yeah, there's issues. There's Georgie, which I've never seen anything like this. I, I cannot recall, and I know Kipper was sort of our whipping boy last year where Illini fans would just get so ticked off at Kipper. But boy, is that pale in comparison to what we're seeing with Georgie. And judging by the reaction in the crowd, the people around us, the groans when Georgie would touch the ball out of the perimeter and people were like, don't shoot it. And that was after I think he missed the first three of those. Shot one for nine from the field in the first half and looked bad doing it. A total mess. Fouling, terrible defense flailing around, pretending he didn't foul a guy when the replay clearly showed he fouled him, tripping off of the refs. All these things in totality have turned one of the most likable Illini players in a long time into public enemy number one. And I don't think many fans out there, you know, everyone toes the line between not getting personal, right? It isn't a personal thing with Georgie. It's just a matter of you're really hurting this basketball team right now. And it's bizarre to see that for someone that helped it so much last year and knowing that he doesn't need to be a star, didn't have to be, but he was someone that we at least got some consistent production from and never at all felt like a liability last year. And if he did, it was fleeting. So this is a major concern. And you really, I don't want to say that you only go so far as Georgie does. I don't know if that's true. I think that you're going to see a limited role for him, but maybe that limited role will be good for him. Maybe mentally he needs a break. I know Jeremy on his morning show, he was talking about, because that's the thing, I had to go and consume some Illini sports coverage today because you would think I want to detach from it, but for some reason, you know, it's like this shared experience as fans, is we want to consume it. We want to know that we're kind of there for each other. I got to give Jeremy credit. He's got a good bedside manner where the way he delivers things is always very measured. So I'm like, well, I need to listen to Jeremy's first hour. And I did that during my plan period today. 
And as he was talking about it from his vantage point up close, he was noticing that Georgie was super pumped and he wanted to do so much. And, you know, you play two games in front of the best crowds you played in front of so far at Illinois, and you want to impress the masses. You want to get back on their good side. And then you start pressing. Take him out of the starting lineup. Don't let him press. Let him just play basketball. I think, man, mentally I go back to the idea that this team can go into Rutgers knowing that I will be okay. He'll be back. How huge is that? And a Georgie, what if he just comes off the bench and realizes I'm just playing basketball? I don't need to be the star. I don't need to be Georgie's center of attention. I can just go out there and do my job. And maybe that'll free him up a bit. Because, hey, maybe Rutgers is the cure that ails him. He didn't look good against Rutgers this year at home, but last year still had the best game of his career against Rutgers. A lot of the same personnel on that team. So we'll see on Saturday if we get that going again. It doesn't require a great game from Georgie. It just requires a game where he is serviceable. And all of a sudden we're thinking, well, that's a step in the right direction. Maybe we can get this thing going again with him. If you do, you're in much better shape. That's the long and short of it. You do not have the depth to withstand Georgie being terrible all year. You just don't. But the way you're playing now, anything he gives you is gravy, right? So that's where you're at, even without Io. The Georgie, you give him a reduced role and see what he can do with that. Kofi seems to be doing better with more minutes. I'm not seeing any sort of fatigue. He played essentially the entire second half, minus a couple minutes where Georgie came out to spell him, understandably. I mean, could you have played Kofi all 20 minutes? I also got to give Underwood credit. He read the room. You know, he understood that in this game, this lineup right here gives us the best chance. We're going to roll with it. I texted my dad during that comeback, which, by the way, was so damn close to being the Seton Hall game. And I'm going to get to that in one second. But I texted him thinking, adrenaline is going to get these guys through. The crowd and the adrenaline is going to get these five guys through. Don't change the lineup. Just go. Just go. And the way media timeouts are now, that game ended, I think, at 1020. As long as they are now, there's plenty of time to recuperate. These are young guys. They'll be fine. And then they had, of course, until Saturday for the next game. I got to give Underwood credit. Just rolled with it. He made the decision. I got to sit Georgie. And he did put him in out of necessity to give Kofi a longer breather, but took him out the minute that it became an issue. Kofi came right back out. So kudos to Underwood for that. Again, showing a flexibility as a coach, which I appreciate. And there wasn't a lot in the first half, apart from all the crazy number of touches that Georgie was getting. There, there weren't many things I saw in the first half that made me think this is an Underwood problem. It felt like mentally we didn't show up. And I could pin that on a coach. It is part of his job to get the team up. But unfortunately... I was worried about the hangover effect from Friday. And the team seemed to have that. I mean, it was a lethargic, flat start. And I don't know, was it a case of they were shook from what happened against Maryland or they just hadn't gotten their groove back? I don't Whatever it was, listen, the first half is one that we won't be revisiting anytime soon. But I would like to think that that's the last first half in a long time that you go down 20-something at home. The Miami game was bad enough. But unfortunately, this one meant more, right? This would have been huge for NCAA tournament seeding implications. Hopefully, it won't have any impact on making or not making the tournament. But regardless, you know, as this comeback's going on and Underwood's doing a good job of just rolling with it, riding that wave, letting these guys do it, the crowd was unbelievable, and it was truly like the Assembly Hall of old. I know it's State Farm Center now, but I got to go back a long time to when that building felt like it was about to take off. It looks like a spaceship, and sometimes when it gets going like that, it feels like the damn thing is going to levitate off the ground. Deafening. The adrenaline going in that room. Now, what I do during a comeback like that 
that was probably different than how I handled the Seton Hall game in 2000 when I was you know, 14 years old is I stand silent. I clap. I want to make some sort of noise, but I'm not yelling because one, we got a gig on Saturday and I got to save my voice. It's already got some wear and tear from teaching all day and things like that. Uh, but also out of this sort of, I want to protect myself as a fan. I didn't want to be yelling and screaming only for a rough ending, which we got. We certainly got that. But even with that, as the game went on and Illinois took that lead after Kofi shots, I thought, we are winning this game. This is done. We're going to get the stop and we're going to win it. And I, I could taste how good it would feel, how good that would have felt. Because for me, going back to the Seton Hall game in 2000, that was a formative moment for me as a fan. I talked on the Eve of the Moment podcast and... Sadly, that hasn't aged too well after you lost the last two games. I, again, was the kiss of death with my predictions. But I mentioned on that the formative years for me, beginning with the Big Ten tournament in 1999. But it was the Seton Hall game, December 2000, Saturday afternoon, CBS in town, going down, I think, 17 at half. We went out to the concourse, and I'm pouting, as 15-year-old sports fans often do. And I say to my dad, we should just leave, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no. Very wisely, he said, no, it's basketball, and... Runs happen, and let's just see what goes on the second half. And if it gets really bad, maybe. And we even texted during this game against Michigan State that if it gets to like 20 at the under-8 timeout, that might be our cue to leave. That might be, let's go home and watch our Friday Night Lights because Karen and I are binging the hell out of it. But instead, you make that comeback, and I'm thinking, holy crap, we're going to get that moment again. When Illinois took the lead, I thought it was inevitable. And the first lead that they took with what, I think four to go, something like that, they, they got the lead quicker than I thought that they would have. And then you had a couple bad offensive possessions in a row. Michigan State takes a one and then a three-point lead. And then, oh, no. But just as quickly, you get that lead back. Unbelievable comeback. It sucks that they didn't finish the job. And it sucks that they got in that hole to begin with. It does. I'm going to try to err on the side of optimism. Here's what I mean by that. After the Miami game, because we had not been shown anything yet in the Underwood era leading up to that Miami game that any corner had been turned or that this was actually, in fact, an NCAA tournament team. We had not been shown that. Well, now we have in the seven-game win streak in the way that even with the C game, they took Iowa to the limit at Iowa City. Parts of the Maryland game, though I would like to forget that for the most part. But because of the context, context changes everything. And looking at what happened the month of January and knowing that you're on the right side of the bubble by quite a bit, actually, that this comeback against Michigan State was no mistake. That this team, when they are on, is a very good team. It gives me hope for what the ceiling of this team could be. And with that youth, and there is still some youth on this team, I'm hoping that that floor continues to raise where you are not facing these deficits at home anymore. You shouldn't be. If there are such things as, you know, just learning and getting better, which I, as cliche as it sounds, I see it as a teacher, kids get better. They learn what not to do, even if it might take three, four, five different failures to do so. Well, the first half was a failure. And somehow this team came out and they found a way to fix it. Almost completely in 20 minutes of game time. And what makes that comeback all the more incredible is that with 11.50 to go in the game, Illinois was still down 17. And I said to Kara, well, we're playing our butts off, but we're trading baskets. And that does not a comeback make, as Yoda might say. That ain't going to do it. Unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. Michigan State, their two best players on the court, of course, were Winston and Tillman. 
And even though Winston missed that layup because he defended him perfectly, Tillman, who had the best game in a long time, he's right there for it. Shouldn't be surprised. He was the guy that I was worried about going into that game because Kofi's young and Georgie's struggling. I felt like if Tillman's going to have that coming out party, it might be this one. He'd been struggling mightily, and he had a great game. No surprise. Rocket Watts, great game. They have a good supporting cast. This team can make a run for Michigan State. But if Io comes back, Illinois can make a run too. And that's really what the theme of this episode is. Now that I'm at the same length of when I deleted the last podcast that will never air, it's gone off into the ether. You'll never hear that depressing podcast. I try to make a point of not making that initial podcast depressing. But I'm going to be honest, the whole focus of that was how do we refocus our energy as fans? What are the expectations now going forward, presuming IO does not play again this year? Or maybe ever again in an orange and blue uniform. There's other questions to consider. The Adam Miller question. If Io's out for the rest of the year, his decision to come back or go pro may have an impact on Adam Miller. And then that affects the long-term future of Illinois basketball. But right now, in the aftermath of what happened Tuesday night at State Farm Center, the only thing that matters is that Io is, in fact, healthy. That there is no structural damage. That this is something that he will have to work to get back But it's not a torn ACL or MCL or any of that. This happened a day after I found out a friend of mine, huge basketball fan, my my buddy Andrew, and we've been to plenty of Illini basketball games together, watched plenty of basketball games together. And playing some pickup basketball with friends, he ruptured his Achilles. Six-month recovery time. And that crossed my mind last night when Io went down like that and I saw the replay, how devastating it was, and I thought... That just sucks because I I figured Andrew was watching the game. I did not text him afterwards because I didn't want to be like, hey, I know you ruptured your Achilles and everything, but did you see how this guy also had an excruciating injury? How painful do you think that was? I I didn't want to do that. And to get this news. First off, as happy as we feel, the bounce and the step that I have in this take two of episode 63 as opposed to the first one. Times that by a thousand, if not more, and you got Io and his family. You got the players in the locker room. You got the coaching staff that have come this far with him as their leader. Io's a leader, and I know he he's not perfect. He's not a great shooter. He doesn't get every game winner, but neither did Jordan. So what? Are we going to fault the kid for that? But he is the face of Illini basketball, and we are still, I think, kind of coming to terms with that. We have the guys like D. Brown and Nick Anderson. Kenny Battle actually might have been more of the face of the 88-89 team. Frank Williams. We have these guys that we sort of mythologize and we look at as the cornerstones of Illini basketball. And we would love to think that Io can ascend to that. And all that it would have taken by the time his career at Illinois is said and done is getting them back in the tournament and establishing that Illinois basketball is a team that in fact makes tournaments and competes for Big Ten titles. And he did that. Even if the Big Ten title, that probably is not in the cards right now. We understand that. We probably understood that after the Maryland game. But by all accounts, when you consider what the past two years have been and what the last decade has been, this season is still on track for success. Am I a victim right now a little bit of the good news, you know, painting a rosier picture than what we have? Sure, maybe so. Because on the court, this team is still far too inconsistent for their own good. And they continue to put themselves in unenviable positions. And it can be difficult to dig out of them. But, find me Big Ten teams not named Maryland or Penn State. 
that have had a very smooth, easy year. I mean, those are your two teams right there, Maryland and Penn State. Everybody else, in long stretches even, have looked bad just as much as they've looked good. And if you look at college basketball in general, apart from the Baylors and uh, the Gonzagas and the San Diego States of the world, there is a lot of parity going on where there are teams that you look at as bona fide national title contenders. But the way that this game continues to go, when there was parity in March Madness 20 years ago, it's only escalated now. So things are not going to go scratch in March Madness. They never do. It just seems like more and more you're seeing these 8, 9, 10 seeds that are just as capable of making a deep run as others. With Io out, Illinois was probably not capable of making that run. And ultimately, we will probably look back on this year, now that the Big Ten title is off the table, we will probably look back on it based on what they do in March, whether it is a deep tournament run in the Big Ten tournament. Let's say they make the Big Ten tournament title. Been a while, right? Have to go back to 2007. That long. Well, what if they make it? I'm going to remember that. What if they win a game, or what if they get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? Best believe we're all going to remember that as the turning point, as the arrival moment. We didn't get the arrival moment against Maryland. We damn near got it against Michigan State. You put yourself in enough positions for that arrival moment, and you will come through at some point. I do believe that. And this team does have enough. And they're learning on the fly. Boy, is a trial by fire in this Big Ten. And somehow this team, with all their myriad of issues— are sitting there at 8-5, and five, but not the nightmare scenario that we thought it might be. I even wrote here, in parentheses, I said, uh, let's see, no sugarcoating, worst case, or in parentheses, nightmare scenario. But these notes that I worked so hard on at school, don't need them, because everything's changed. Everything's changed. Io has no structural damage. He will be back at some point this year in all likelihood, and he should be back for March. It's February 12th as we're recording this. No structural damage. You know, it'll be interesting when Underwood finally speaks on it about how long this may take, how many games they think he will miss. Will he make the trip to Rutgers or Penn State or will he stay back, do some rehab, get that thing back into playing shape? You know, that's why they got the medical professionals for that. But as a fan, to be able to go into the stretch run of the season after two heartbreakers at the State Farm Center, I don't want to sit here and try to make it cheesy and think that, you know, well, as a fan base, we grew and learned a little bit too. Listen, this fan base is calloused enough. We don't need any more heartbreaks, right? But I did think when Io got hurt, if there was a positive, that it would be that, you know, we were reminded, one, it is a game, and I know that's a cliche and I hate to go with that direction. Sports can hurt. So I don't want to minimize the hurt that you can have after a loss. But it certainly added a human element to it that said, well, yeah, it sucks that we lost the game, but there's a kid right now, and I do say kid, who his basketball future is up in the air tonight, and he shouldn't have to be thinking about that at that age. He's worked too hard to become a great basketball player, only to have some dreams, whether that just be making the tournament this year or playing in an NCAA tournament game, to have some dreams dashed because of a freak accident as he's trying to go for the game winner in a game where you came back from 20 points. I mean, you can't write this. We're watching Friday Night Lights. Spoiler alert. First episode, star quarterback gets hurt. And I remember thinking when Io got hurt, you got to be kidding me. I'm getting into this these Dylan Panthers on Friday Night Lights and their star quarterback gets hurt. And now my star point guard gets hurt. Unbelievable. My fictional and my real life sports heroes are getting hurt. It's ridiculous. Well, fortunately, it isn't nearly as bad as Friday Night Lights, that's for sure. And 
that there's hope yet. If there is a message I want to leave Illini fans with without getting too lofty or hyperbolic, which I try to avoid, it's that there is hope here. Beginning this weekend, a game at Rutgers where even without Io, knowing that this team can play without the baggage of Io being out for the rest of the year, having serious, serious injury issues that he'll have to come back from, that they can go up there and just play loose and free. What the hell? Go out there and steal a win in Piscataway. You do that. You get to 9-5 and five in the Big Ten. After all of this, after what feels like a stretch where you just, oh my God, heartbreaker after heartbreaker, and then you win a game of Rutgers, you go 9-5. and five. Worst case scenario, come back home 9-6 and six after what I'm going to call kind of an inevitable loss at Penn State because that matchup stinks. They've owned us anyway. And now they are a top 12 caliber team. They're unbelievable right now. So I don't like that matchup. But let's just say you go into Rutgers and beat them. Let's just say, why not? I mean, all the good mojo you had in January, aren't we due for some of that, as Harry Black would say? Aren't we due? I do think that you have enough on the table without Io to go up there and beat Rutgers if you get them on a bad shooting night, which they are not great offensively. Match them defensively yourselves. Let Kofi go off for the first time in a while. Let Andres Feliz continue to do his thing. Maybe Alan Griffin gets hot from three. But there are ways to winning that game. There's a path. There's a recipe. And you do that manner. We coming back on Monday. I think on Monday is the next time we'll do it with Isaac and Trevor and feeling a lot better about things. And then you go forward again, the swing stretch. The last four games of the year, I want to make sure that I get this right, but it'd be the home games against Indiana, Nebraska, Iowa, and then the road games against Northwestern Ohio State. So let's go with that five-game stretch as sort of what will decide if you're a bona fide seven, eight, nine seed in the tournament, that five-game stretch right there. I think it's realistic to say that they win three of them, okay? Some mixture of three of those games, and that would get you where you're sitting right now to 11 wins in the conference. That's why I look at Rutgers as, man, if you want to get back to like 12 and eight, which would be a great Big Ten record, maybe that's one you got to get. Otherwise, you're looking at winning four of your last five, and that would include all of your home games, including against Iowa, which they are not the same team away from Carver Hawkeye, and at Northwestern, which has become a much tougher game than we would have thought. So it's there. There's a path. I know we've recalibrated. I know the expectations have changed. But as we sit here, I'm happy to be able to have that discussion and not also talk about Iota Sunmu being out for the year. What a relief. I know it's a little bit shorter of a podcast. With this and take one, that's 80 minutes I've been down here. I need to rest my voice. I need to go get back to it. I need to go shovel some snow, whatever it may be. But uh, what good news and so nice to be able to delete that first podcast and try it again after the news of IO being back. All right, it is the 200 level. Of course, our sponsors are DP Doe, online at DP Doe for all custom zones, Maui Wowie, Buffer Zone, whatever it may be. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, anywhere. So it's a great lunch deal if you got a business office, something like that, dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com, coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your apparel at 4thandkirby.com. And finally, Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent, online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs, local products, born and raised in Champaign-Urbana, so they can help you out. Even if you don't like live in Champaign-Urbana, it's worth going to brianismyguy.com for some information. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Rest easy, Alana fans. It, this is rough in terms of losing these three games. You would have liked to win two of them, maybe all three. You could have won all three, I guess, at some point. But you didn't, and here you are. Eight and five in conference. 
Winnable game at Rutgers, even without Io. Penn State, good luck with that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an upset? But Io will be back at some point. And most importantly, he may be back for the most important games of the year. And more importantly, on a personal standpoint, that he may be able to play in the NCAA tournament with his guys. That would be a cherry on top of a season that hopefully is the return of Illinois to national relevance, even if it didn't happen this last weekend. I wish it would have. I wish Friday and Tuesday would have been the monumental return that we hoped it would be. But even though you didn't beat Michigan State, look at how many media credentials were handed out. You were relevant again, and losing in the way that you did to Michigan State is not going to all of a sudden erase everything that you've done this year. People that watched that game saw an unbelievable second half. The the selection committee is not going to dock Illinois points because they lost by a point to Michigan State. They won't. The quality one would have helped, but there's others on the table. I think they'll get a few of them. And especially with Iowa back in the fold, looking more likely that they can get the 3-4 wins to certainly solidify being a tournament team, which I think they are. All right, until next Monday when Isaac and Trevor should be back. These solo pods are a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun when they're winning. I hope that you enjoy it. I know it's a little bit different than a conversational podcast. It's much more kind of monologue. And I hope it doesn't feel like I'm talking at anybody, but talking with you. Because I feel like what we've just went through as Illini fans, uh, we've seen worse, we've seen better. Boy, did we go through the emotional roller coaster. And we somehow emerge on the other side with hope. And if we were to look back at the season, a crossroads, so to speak, we'll always look at that moment when Io got hurt at the end of a crushing loss to Michigan State. And think, well, we thought it was over, right? A lot of us, I think, at some point thought this thing's over. I certainly did last night. I had to sort of talk myself out of that today, throughout the day. It was a process. And now we're sitting here on Wednesday evening, and it's not over. And there's hope. And this team still has a lot of script left to write. And I'm hoping for a happy ending. I think there's a possibility of that. And Io's legacy as an Illini basketball legend, that's still on the table. And I'm just excited that he gets to help write that legacy as well. That it's not over that Tuesday night at the State Farm Center, that he's got more to do. So for all of you, thank you for listening. Rate, review us on iTunes, especially that helps us get the podcast charts. Uh, We are one of those most listened to basketball podcasts. And I'm not surprised because Illinois basketball fans are nuts. We saw it last night at the State Farm Center. won't be the last time we see it either. Until next time, when Trevor and Isaac are back on Monday, hopefully a somewhat surprising win at Rutgers to talk about. But more importantly, we won't have to talk about what are we going to do long-term without Iowa DeSumo. No, he's coming back. And with that bit of good news, we'll see you next time. It is the 200 level.